Hello and welcome to the Circular Economy podcast, where we find out how circular approaches make a better business and a better world for you, your partners and your customers. I'm Catherine Wheatman of Rethink Global, and I'll be chatting with those inspiring people who are making the circular economy happen, rethinking how we design, make and use everything. We'll talk to entrepreneurs and business owners, social enterprises and leading thinkers. We'll find out how they're using circular principles to create value, increase resilience and reduce risk to make a competitive, sustainable organisation. You'll find the show notes at circulareconomypodcast.com where you can subscribe to updates and useful resources. Now, on to this episode. In today's episode, I'm talking to Tom Harper, Director at Unusual Rigging Limited, which provides stage engineering solutions for entertainment, exhibitions and special events across Europe. Tom has designed and implemented a range of circular projects, including asset management, reuse and refurbishment, new services and rethinking how to design products. We also discuss the many benefits these circular initiatives have brought to the company, improving customer engagement, reducing costs and boosting its competitive edge. Tom was in the office very close to the railway and we also have to contend with a thunderstorm. So I've done my best to improve the sound quality, but I'm sorry in places it's not great. I hope you'll stick with it. I start by asking Tom about his background, noting that he hasn't had a conventional route into business. No, no I haven't very much though. I'm, I'm on the technical side of the entertainment industry, I suppose, is the way you describe it. My company is a rigging and engineering and design solutions company that provides technical solutions to live production, West End Theatre, the Olympics and uh, corporate and other markets. Um, yeah, for me, it, well, it really started around 2001. I read a book by an author called Thomas Hartman or Tom Hartman called The Last Hours of Ancient Sunlight. And at that point, I was actually on stage. I was about to go on stage. I was in the dressing room reading um, for an RSC production of Julius Caesar. And I could not believe that what I was reading was not mainstream news every single night. It was, it was a fantastically written book published in 1999 that um, touched on the current oil depletion crisis, um, peak oil, and uh, the impacts of oil and, and our current 20th century or 21st century now, um, economic global economic model and how as a system it was incredibly destructive not just to natural capital but also evidently to social capital and and not so effective with financial capital given the fact that there were so many um, crashes I think something like 470 since the 1970s uh, financial crashes so I was sat there about to go on stage wearing my toga um, about to prance about and thinking something's got to change here. This is, this is insane. Um, I then joined a movement called the Be The Change movement, which is part of the Pachamama Alliance, which was a very grassroots, very sort of eco-warrior, if you like, type movement that at the time was 
very fringe. And I spent quite a few years in that movement as an actor, uh, working as an actor still, but recognizing very slowly that talking about indigenous wisdom and indigenous cultures wasn't going to mix with our mainstream Western contemporary society and that it wasn't necessarily the right approach. So I carried on for a few more years as an actor, but children came along and I realized that you were better financially if you were working on the technical side of theatre, because I think the average actor only earns about 14,000 a year. Um, so I was lucky that I had an in with a family business route into engaging with the company I'm now with, Unusual Rigging. Uh, I was still keen, however, from having been an actor, I hadn't had any business experience, proper business experience, because it's an actor, you're a baby. All you have to do is learn your lines, get on stage, prance around. So I was mindful that I really wanted to understand the world of business and more importantly, that strange word, economics. Uh, so I enrolled in 2014 on an MBA, but I wanted to do one which aligned with my understanding of the climate and resource issues that we face. And luckily, the Ellen MacArthur Foundation had been working with the fantastic Professor Peter Hopkinson and Ken Webster and others on the Circular Economy MBA at Bradford. So I was one of the very first 100 cohort to do this Pioneer MBA. And five years, five and a half years down the line, my family are exhausted by me going on about it. But I've had the opportunity to apply practically what I was learning in theory at, at work. So it's been a good mix, been intense five years, but a very good mix. Yeah, that's fascinating. A really interesting routine. And I'll um, ask you a bit more about that book afterwards and, and uh, maybe we can put a link to it in the show notes as well. Yes. So bringing us on to the business, onto onto Unusual Rigging Limited, can you tell us a little bit about what you do um, and what kind of customers you serve and then perhaps lead into some of the circular economy initiatives sure. that you undertook and, and how you got those going? How did you get people enthusiastic in the company? Sure. Okay. So the business, Unusual Rigging, its main market is the theatre industry. It's, it actually dominates about 80% of that market in the UK, which is a great position to be in. And it's the, it's the predominant area where most of the bread and butter comes from for the company's overheads and fixed costs. Uh, it's since 2012 then expanded into Olympic Games, where it was responsible for rigging and engineering design solutions for um, the opening and closing ceremonies. And we're off again to Tokyo uh, to do the uh, games out there. We've done the winter and the summer Olympics now since 2012. Uh, it also provides solutions for museums and the corporate events run by organizations like Imagination for car and motor show type events, um, does a bit of music, does a whole array of the live production industry. And the thing that's interesting about that industry is, is the need for absolute hyper collaboration between organizations. Uh, I was given a position, I managed to get a position as a resource manager uh, in 2013, so six years ago now. Um, and my, my initial response in the, 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 the role I was given was to sort of manage the company's assets. It has a fleet of around 3,000 electric chain hoists and around 11 kilometers worth of truss 
in order to fulfill the needs of its customers and clients. Uh, and at the time, it had a very clunky piece of software, which I won't name for commercial reasons, um, which did a reasonable job of creating a relatively efficient material loop. So it's a higher company. So you could argue, as I discussed with the managing director of the company, when I said to him I was going to do the circular economy MBA and try and optimize circular innovations within the organization, he said, well, we're already circular. We're a higher business, which is a valid point. However, it was obvious to me that there was a lot of scope for development because it might be kind of relatively efficient at material loops and I wanted to make it effective at closed material loops. Which there is a distinct difference. Historically, we never knew where anything was. So it would be booked out on a job, no tracking of it. Invariably, things just wouldn't return and you didn't know where they were. And because of the volume of jobs going on, it was impossible to keep a track. So I was given the opportunity to investigate some new software, which ended up being bespoke software with a company based in Aberdeen, software company. And, the, and I gave them a very distinct brief. I said, we don't want to just track our assets. We want to track the impact of those assets and because we can, because we're making this bespoke. And we want to be able to know where everything is at any given time and have like a, like a material passport for every single capital asset that was valued highly enough to have its own passport. So to date, we have 70,000 or thereabouts items in our inventory. Um, the majority of that 70,000 are made up of batch items, but there are about 20,000 items which are serial items. The difference between a serial is that it has its own serial ID number. So they literally have, when you click on that, when you type in their serial number into our software, you get a little breakdown of its, of its journey, of its history, literally like a passport. Oh, it was on this job, on this date, booked in by that person. It was re-inspected and refurbished and maintained on that date. And I was excited because I thought, well, this is an opportunity to really implement some of the circular um, ideologies or the circular innovations and circular principles that I've been learning about, like maintenance is better than buying new and refurbishment of resources is better than virgin raw material extraction. And it was better, it began to show that it was better on the bottom line as well. We then, if you want to interject, please do it at any point. But I'll just um, say- Well, just, just in terms of that better for the bottom line, was that quite early on in the project? Had you had to kind of convince people to keep faith with the project or, was, or could everybody see the potential and, and uh, see the benefits coming in quite early? No, the unfortunately for me, the benefits didn't arise, to be completely honest, for about two years. We started the implementation of the software and you bear in mind, this is an SME we're talking about. So at the time we were about, I think there were about 65 to 70 people in the organization in 2013. And I was the only person responsible for implementing the software. Bear in mind what I told you earlier about my previous experience. I've just been prancing around on stage. Did not have a clue. So I made good friends, um, strategically made good friends with the head of IT. There's only a team of two IT guys. They were up to their eyeballs in the daily running of the business. But I, so it was a very, very steep learning curve for me. But I think the thing that spurred me on was 
this belief that we have to transform our business models towards a circular design. And I was utterly convinced from the studies that I was undertaking with Peter Hopkinson and, and the Bradford and Bradford University that it was economically viable, not just that, it was it was better for the business. And so there were plenty of meetings where the MD stared at me with a very hard eye in a meeting room full of others and said, are you ready yet to tell us that we should close this project? Because as far as I can tell, we've invested a substantial amount of money now to develop this bespoke software. And it's still, and we still don't have, we have still less than 50% of our assets on the tracking system. And I was very, very close a couple of times to saying, I think we should fold it. I'm really sorry. We need to fail fast, fail quick and move on. But we didn't. I guess I was trusting my intuition and also I didn't to do. So, um, so we went with it. And, um, and then by 2015, halfway through 2015, 2016, it became inevitable that it was utterly invaluable because suddenly I was able to generate what was called, what is called a late returns report, which we'd never had before. So I could shoot out, spit out from the software these fancy, very simple, but fancy looking little graphs that showed, oh, we have 25 electric chain hoists on the Olympic still in Sochi in Russia. We've got 42 knocked back from the West End show of Matilda that should have finished its tour. We've got X amount over here, some over there. The capital value of those items of equipment is X amount. So we need to call them back in. And it also showed some behaviors up as well. For example, the way our organization is structured is we have riggers who take responsibility for a project. They, they effectively write a shopping list of the resources they need to fulfill the needs of their project. They send that through to the operations team. The operations team assemble that um, shopping list send it to the departments outside who then allocate those items onto the system um, with up-to-date certificates and everything else. Um, historically, a lot of riggers, it turns out, were taking their vans down to London, you know, collecting items like a load of um, rigging equipment and then just taking them home because it was easier and actually quite fancied having a bit of shackles and and round slings and span sets in their garage so they could help with DIY projects at home. So suddenly we were able to you know, <laughs> accumulate a lot of stuff that was kind of just disappearing because the riggers realized very quickly, oh, I don't want my name against a load of items that have gone missing. So it changed, uh, behavior changed overnight. And it did what it said it was gonna do on the tin. It tracked the assets. So then I became intrigued at, well, if it can track the assets, Surely it can track the impact of those assets. We're able to reuse assets that historically we might not have reused and refurbish them. We can, we can cut costs of buying new equipment the whole time by refurbishing and employing somebody in our shops to focus purely on maintenance and servicing. And the cost of that was really obvious as well. You know, for, for 40 electric chain hoists, each one is around 1,500 to 2,000 pounds. We have one supplier from Germany, Liftkit. Also had lots of conversations with them, but that's a separate subject matter about designing for durability into the future and duty cycles. But yeah, so, so one, one hoist is about 1,000 to 2,000 pounds. So you, if you're buying 40 for a new show because you've got a new job, 
um, we can do the maths. It's a lot of money versus employing somebody to refurbish 40 that can be refurbished in, in about a week. So it just meant employing and building our, our employee base. So our employee base has grown now. We've got 82 people instead of around 65 to 70. So it's good from a social regenerative point of view. We've employed a lot of people from the local community, the village. Um, and uh, for the client as well, the benefits are that instead of buying new, for example, if we're refurbishing a theater, we're doing the theater of Lane at the moment, we're reusing a lot of the resources that we've stripped out of that theater that are good to be used again. And the, the reason we know they're good to be used again is because we can tensile strength test, which means mm. literally strength testing steel wire ropes and MRI scanning um, steel brackets to ensure that there are no internal fissures or cracks. I'm sorry, there's a few trains going by. Yes, no, not to worry. So on the tensile strength then, that sounds really interesting. And that's something that, um, th did that come out of the circular economy yeah. project mindset as well? That, you know, how do, how do we ensure what we're putting back into the system is still yeah. fit for purpose and safe and so on? Yes, it did. So we, we thought we've got this, we changed our approach. So, so we had to build a new warehouse, which we built actually out of resources that had been hanging around for 20 years, which is great. Um, we'd done the, the, the Queen's Jubilee back in 2002, not quite 20 years. Um, and uh, there were five massive trusses that were required for that, that were built purely for that show. And they had been sitting in the yard for years and years and years. So they were tensile strength tested uh, through a big machine, not on our location, not on our property, um, and found to be fit for use. So we reused them to build our new warehouse, which is a 20 by 20 meters by um, 40 meters size warehouse. It's enormous. Uh, Fantastic. Yeah, so, the, so that was an obvious immediate benefit to tensile strength testing. We could take items from theatres that we didn't know how old they were, what the duty side would be for them, in terms of you know whether it was a bracket or a shiv or a pulley system, and check them thoroughly. And for various component parts, you can tensile strength test them to ensure that they are fit for use once more. Uh, the, the technology is available. You know, it's literally just a little mm. MRI scan. You can get them in varying sizes. You just pass the things through to see that you know the, the atomic structure is still intact and that they're good to go, good to be used again. So that has that also required us to employ another position. So we now have somebody whose job role is their job title is resource recovery. So they literally recover resources that didn't belong to us that would have been skipped before or scraps into the metal scrapyard and they check them and where they can be reused, they are reused, uh, which again is also great for the customer. So you have an example I used in one of my uh, assignments, in fact, that was looking at circular business models. When we put Shrek into the West End in the theatre lane, the, the value of that show in terms of weight was around um, 30 ton 
And historically, what would have happened when the show was stripped out, all the all of the bespoke shivs and brackets and pulley systems up in the grid, the infrastructure provision for the scenery and the lights and the sounds and the elements would all have just been scrapped. But now that we've designed for disassembly as well with our design team, and we had a long conversation, lots of meetings with the design team about why don't we make, instead of making bespoke every time, why don't we have standards fixtures, standards um, items for design that are designed to be disassembled and reused again. So instead of it all being skipped for Shrek, it went into being used for Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Was it, we used 85% of the technical nutrients that historically would have been thrown away or, or recycled, which was huge. And as a result of that 85% of reuse, we were able to afford a 30% discount to the theater client. So they were delighted. You know, this is all the huge values of weight. And we also were endorsed by Cameron McIntosh when we went for an award scheme, the Circulars, which is run by the World Economic Forum. I managed to get an email endorsement from Cameron McIntosh's office, the king of the Western Theatre Lab, which was to say we, we really applaud unusual rigging for saving us 70,000 kilograms worth of um, steel by reuse. It was 70,000 kilograms worth of associated CO2 emissions from the steel mm. that was reused. Fantastic. Yeah. So not only not only are you converting uh, kind of um, or not spending money on virgin resources and creating skilled, you know, meaningful jobs locally, but you're engaging differently with the customers yes. and helping customers feel, you know, kind of better about their impact or starting to see the value of circulating material yeah. flows. Yes. We also, the, the, the software on its own didn't appear or appeal to the workforce as a particularly circular thing. A lot of them outside weren't familiar with the idea of the circular economy. They understood to an extent the requirements of sustainability, which of course is all about trying to do less harm as opposed to circularity, which is about let's just do more good. Mm. Um, so it was lucky that at the same time as the bespoke software being developed, I'd written, I ended up writing a private personal letter to the MD about getting our energy mix from renewable energy and demonstrated, I did some calculations on the benefits to us in the long term. I mean, we're talking like 10, 15 years long term here, which is just mm -hmm. a big ask for a company uh, about getting our own solar panels on the roofs. And within, we've had them now since 2016, no, 2015, they were installed and switched on late 2016. And already in three years, I mean, the cost benefit is, is fantastic. And, and we won over the MD, obviously, from the outset to um, install them. But having them installed at the same time as implementing this kind of circular approach with RFID asset tracking software people in the workforce began to talk about it more and they were more engaged. So much so that one guy who grew up in the village has only ever done manual labor, but is, is very practical, very practical with his hands. He was really inspired and he said, you know, I, I like this idea of reusing materials and, and reducing our material diet or reducing our material consumption. He said, I've designed a, I've designed a road box 
Because in the theatre, technicians use road boxes all the time to cart, you know, your rigging stuff or your electric train hoisting. This guy, Richard, who works in the electric motor shop, in the electric chain hoist shop, he said, I've designed a motor box that can accommodate four different types of electric chain hoist. Because historically, we had one type of box for one type of hoist. So you have a hoist that's you know, 20, um, 20 inches uh, wide. It needs slats for a 20-inch wide one. And a 40-inch wide needs another size box. So he designed the box where you could just pull the slats out to accommodate a different size hoist. So suddenly you had one box to four potential hoists, which is a material saving ratio of four to one, which is great. It's a simple innovation. And that showed when you get the workforce engaged with the ideas, then you, and you invite people to think, well, where are, there, where, are there any solutions that, that relate to my tasks and duties in this working environment that I could implement? It was really empowering and it was great. Yeah, that's, that sounds fantastic. So just to, um, to make sure uh, we all understand the road boxes kind of transit packaging for the hoists and so on to get them from um, your premises to, uh, safely into the theatre without damaging them. And are they then, are they kind of a, you know, a single use thing or can you bring them back and? They're, they're designed, they're, they're reused. They're, they're designed to be very robust. So they're on wheels. Uh, you know, you can make a fantastic go-kart out of the wheels for, for, for the kids or for yourself even. Um, yeah, so they're, they're, they're wooden, they're robust wooden boxes with steel edging and steel um, caps on the corners, sort mm. of bangs and knocks. Yeah. They're expensive. So that was another element as well, because each road box, one road box is 350 quid. So if you're only having to buy... You know, if you're able to just buy a, a few less that can accommodate more, then you're saving some money. So it sounds like lots of employees have been engaged and are thinking differently because of this. Um, and what about what about suppliers? You mentioned um, uh, Liftech, was it Liftcat? Um, yeah, Lift, Liftcat. Have you have you yes. changed anything? Changed you know, collaborated with suppliers or got them thinking differently? We've had conversations with our key suppliers. So, in fact, our key suppliers have, have been working towards implementing their own understanding of the circular economy by um, LiftKet are different to us in that they'll manufacture hoists for distribution and sale. Um, however, they've now adopted a, a refurbishment program if they're if there are refurbished requirements beyond the basic maintenance um, skill sets required that we've trained our workforce to be able to manage, then we can send them back to be either cannibalized or or um, or, or reconfigured in a way. So they're very much on board with it. I mean, actually, Liftcat. The, the majority of the hoists they sell are to the wind the wind turbine industry. Um, so yeah, so we engage them in the conversation. There is there is further we could go. I had a conversation with them about embedding RFID at the manufacture stage to save us having to do it because um, it would have just been more cost effective for us. Uh, but also we've talked to them about putting in a bit of technology that reads the duty cycle of hoists so that we know how long they have actually been in service mm. for. Because you might have an electric chain hoist up in 
up in the West End, you know, holding a massive load of grass for Lion King up in the sky above the actor's head. And then obviously during the day, it's not on, it's, it's in a fixed position. So being able to read the duty cycle for that host, we would know when it really does need another service. Mm. There's a difference between 12 months of chronological time versus 12 months of use time, duty cycle time, sure. which is, again makes a cost-effective um, scenario for the client, for the customer. Because we also, circular economy element, we decided to offer servicing and inspections of all of our customers' resources as well as our own. So we started RFIDing lots of things in the theatres, lots of rigging and um, high capital assets in the theatres that require inspection. So not only did it help make the existing business more competitive and, and resilient, but it allowed you to expand into new service areas? Exactly, very much so. Yeah. So, I'm, so I'm guessing yeah. most of the senior management would say they're fully, um, you know, fully paid up fans of the circular economy approach now. They are. And it's mentioned at the end of year uh, celebrations, the work, uh, the work party we have end of year. It's, it's mentioned every year and we talk about the benefits of it uh, that we've accrued. And we also recognize that we're very much at the beginning of a journey here mm. because it's not, it's not, you'd have to live in a cabin in the woods to not be affected by current discourse in the public sphere around Extinction Rebellion, our own government now declaring a climate emergency. And, and so feeling like we're trying to be part of the solution now is, 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 a, is a strong place to be in as an organisation. And that's definitely reflected back to us by, by the interest that we seem to generate from spreading the news and publicising on our blog and on our website about trying to join the SDGs, Sustainable Development Goals, or... Our latest circular innovations. Yeah, there's a quote that I like from Yvonne Chouinard, founder of Patagonia, uh, who says, you know, be part of the solution, not part of the problem, and then you can sleep at night. Yes, that's so, great. That's uh, fantastic. That was kind of my yeah. end, ending of the, um, you know, call to action for everybody, hopefully. Yes, yes. So that's all brilliant, Tom. There's some really fantastic examples there. And, um, you know, despite us not being in, in the entertainment industry, I think we can envisage um, how these things have been beneficial and, uh, you know, for the company, for the customers and the suppliers. And it um, sounds like you've got lots more ideas that can be um, put into action. So the last question yeah. then, Tom, um, before, we, um, before we finish is, do you have a recommendation for a, a future guest on the show? Somebody who would be interesting to small yeah. businesses to talk about the circular economy yeah I would, I would recommend andy andy thompson who's based in perth um andy's doing some interesting stuff that focuses more on how to equip local businesses and local communities with with a more robust communications network and, and sharing Mm -hmm. platform if you like for circular solutions and, and innovations um yeah I, i'd re really recommend him he's he's very he's fascinating around uh, when he talks about systems thinking yeah that sounds good i think the systems thinking perspective is is um 
you know, new to a lot of people and it can really change your mindset and thinking on, um, you know, the, the way to approach things. Tom, how would people find out more about what you're doing and uh, maybe even contact you? What, what links can you give people? Well, they can find me via the website www.unusual.co.uk and my Twitter handle is T-A-F-F for Forest Harper, T-A-F Harper, all one word, at T-A-F Harper. Great stuff. And we'll put those links in the show notes so people can look those up if they don't have a pen and paper handy. So brilliant. That was fantastic, Tom. It's been great talking to you and and, um, getting some more information on all the brilliant things that you've been doing at Unusual Rigging Limited. And it sounds like you're going from um, strength to tensile strength over the years. (laughs) Very good, yes. Well, hopefully. (laughs) Okay, so yeah, enjoy the rest of the um, Thunderstroke trains in the afternoon. Yeah, there's another train going there. Yes. I like to say it's training going on. But um, that's a terrible dad joke, but there we go. If you'd like to learn more about the circular economy, why not go back and listen to episode one? Or head over to rethinkglobal.info. Or, and here's the shameless plug, buy my book, A Circular Economy Handbook for Business and Supply Chains, which takes you through the practicalities with lots of real examples from around the world. You can get in touch via the website rethinkglobal.info or send us a tweet at rethink underscore global. Please let us know what you think of the podcast and we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts. See you next time. <laughs>